Thanks for joining me on Vertical Vision today. Have you ever really thought about the humanity of Jesus, about how he lived life the way that we do? Well, that's the topic of today's episode. And when we look at the fact that Jesus lived the way that we live, we can get encouragement that we can go to him and find help and counsel and strength in dealing with the issues of daily life. But on top of that, we'll also see that we can live as he lived, as we depend on the things that he depended upon. So let's dig into the word. Remembering that Jesus is God is absolutely vital. Because when we remember that Jesus is God, we have that awe and that wonder that God loved us so much that he laid aside his heavenly glory and he put on a tent of flesh and lived among us and served us and ate with us and wept with us and walked with us and then gave his life, his spotless life, as a ransom and a sacrifice for our sins. You know, that, that's what he did for us. That's God who did that. But it also is a reminder when we understand that Jesus is God, we cannot afford to take Jesus lightly. We cannot take him lightly. He's not just a nice guy. He's not just a religious sage. He is God. And every single human being will have to stand before him, the one who will judge in the old King James, the quick and the dead. He will judge everybody. We cannot take him lightly. But today, we're going to look at the humanity of Jesus. And this is also critical. Because, you know, I know for me, when, when I would read about Jesus and I'm reading the Gospels and all the things that Jesus did and how he lived and all that, well, yeah, he's God. Of course, you know, he did everything perfect. He's God. You know, he was the easiest child ever to raise, right? You know, Mary and Joseph had no problems, you know, and, and I used to even joke and say, well, you know, hey, you know, they lost Jesus at the temple when he was 12. And then you start thinking about the family life and all. By then, he probably, very possibly, had six siblings at the time, real little. You've got a family, you've got a caravan, you've got a bunch of little kids running around. Jesus was 12. He's pretty much, you know, ready to, to be an adult. I guess it's easy to understand how you could just kind of say, hey, Jesus has got himself covered. He's the perfect kid. He's got it, you know, and then you realize you've left him behind. But, you know, he was so, he was just perfect. Well, yeah, he's God. But there's a lot more to it than that. Jesus was fully human. He laid aside his power and his glory and splendor and really became a human being from the very inception, in the womb, fully man. So what I want to do this morning is I want to do a real quick flyover of normal life for Jesus as we know it, which we don't know a whole lot, and the Bible doesn't say a whole lot, and I really wonder if it's just because there really wasn't a whole lot. 
It's just normal life. And then once we look at that normal life, then we're going to look at the compassion and mercy that Jesus has because he's walked in our shoes. And then look at the dependency of Jesus upon the Father and upon the Spirit. And the reason why this is so critical is if Jesus is fully man, fully dependent upon the Father, fully dependent upon the Spirit, guess what? We're just simple human beings, fully dependent upon the Father and fully dependent upon the Holy Spirit. And the life that Jesus lived, and don't get me wrong, I'm not saying that we're Jesus or anything like that, but the quality of life that Jesus lived in intimate relationship with the Father and depending upon, dependent upon the Spirit, that is a life that is provided for us in Christ Jesus. The same Holy Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead dwells in us. So let's look at his, his life, pre-ministry life. And most of this we know, okay? I'm just kind of putting it all in a nice little packet where we can get the, the flyover. So here is Joseph and Mary. They're living in Nazareth. And the angel comes, Gabriel comes and announces that she's going to bear a child, virgin birth, by the Holy Spirit. So the dependency on the Spirit is right out of the gate, okay? So there's this visitation and they have to go down to Bethlehem because of the Roman census and taxation that was occurring. You know the, the, the Christmas song, Silent Night? It wasn't a silent night. It was not calm. It was not bright. It was horrible. You had people having to come from all over Judea back to their hometown of Bethlehem, try to find a place to stay, and then get taxed and counted by the Romans. They were not happy people. This was a rough time in Bethlehem. So Joseph takes Mary, who's pregnant, and they travel down to, to Bethlehem. This is 6 BC, and Jesus is born in a stable, probably a cave. They wrap him in cloths and put him in a feed trough. Welcome to the world, Son of God. As humble and lowly as you can get. After a few days, Joseph has to get everybody packed up and ready to take the six-mile trip up to Jerusalem because Jesus has to be circumcised on the eighth day. And they have to offer the purification uh, offering. And for them, it was two turtle doves because they were poor. That's the poor people's offering. So they go up to Jerusalem. Jesus is circumcised. The prophetess Anna and Simeon are there in the temple and they prophesy over Jesus. And when that's done, Joseph, Mary, and little Jesus go back to Bethlehem where they live for roughly about two years. The reason why I say that is because two years from when the, the star appeared, there were some magi, right? So if you put the Magi out with your nativity set at Christmas time, that is biblically inaccurate because the Bible tells us they were in a house and Jesus was a toddler. The word for child 
is toddler. So he's not an infant. He's not a baby, little baby. He's a toddler now. And this is when the Magi show up. And at that point, Herod finds out about it. He has no right to the throne of Israel. And so he goes on the hunt to kill baby Jesus. And he kills in that Bethlehem region, every child, every male child, two years old and under, based upon the time that he got from the Magi. Well, the angel told Joseph to grab Mary and Jesus, and off they go to Egypt. So not very normal of an early start to your life, but they run down to, to Egypt, and then Herod dies shortly afterwards in 4 B.C., and the angel says, okay, go ahead and go back up to, to Israel. But they don't go back to Bethlehem because Herod's son, to put it real clearly, was a nutcase. Okay, He was really messed up. So they go back to Nazareth to raise Jesus and the rest of the family. So from that time to when Jesus was about 30 years old, we don't have much information. We really have very little. Siblings were being born. Jesus was learning the family trade from Joseph. They went up to the temple, we know, when he was 12. And the, the Holy Spirit was teaching him wisdom and understanding. And he was blowing the minds of the rabbis. We know that sometime after he was 12, it seems that Joseph died. So here he is, the eldest son, helping hold down everything for the family, doing a six-day-a-week work week, and just living life. He goes into the ministry. His ministry begins when he's 30, okay? And this is interesting because in Numbers, it says that the age that the priest would enter their ministerial duties was at age 30, so the priests just live life. They did their jobs. You know, you look at, at Paul. He was a tent maker. You know, that was what he did. He wasn't a priest. But they had regular jobs. They had regular lives. And then when they reached the age from age 30 to age 50, they did their priestly duties. And then at age 50, they retired and went back to regular life. So Jesus fits right within that time frame when he starts his ministry as the great high priest for us. And that's his life in a nutshell. Pretty plain, pretty common. So, in all of that, it's safe to say that Jesus understands the way that we live. All right? So let's begin by looking at Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14. And it's talking about how Jesus is the high priest. It's talking about him, uh, that he has this, uh, this tie because the priests were familiar with the people they served because they were just like the people they served. Verse 14 says, Since therefore the children of Israel share in flesh and blood, he, that's Jesus himself, likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil. 
and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. For surely it is not angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham, people. Therefore he had to be made like his brothers in every respect, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. He was made like you and me in every respect, fully human, fully God, but fully human. Jesus experienced everything we experience. He knew family life. He knew what it was like to have siblings. He knew what it was like to be under the authority of parents. He knew what it was like to have to do chores. He knew what it was like to lose a father. He knew what it was like to be in a single parent home. He knew what it was like to have to go to work six days a week to make ends meet. He knew what it was like to live life as we do. He knew what it was like to be poor. He knew what it was like to be hungry. He knew what it was like to be thirsty. He knew what it was like to be tired. A man just like us. A person just like us. He knew intense pain and suffering. He faced an agonizing death. Now for me, I lost both my parents to cancer. And it wasn't, it wasn't pretty. To be able to lean on the fact that when somebody you love, or if it's you yourself who are undergoing intense pain and suffering and hurt, that we can cry out to a Savior who understands physically and tangibly intense pain and suffering. And God's not just going, oh, it's okay. I know you're hurting and I know you're suffering so bad and you can't even barely move. But hey, just, you know, give it a little bit more time and no sweat. You'll be with me and everything's good. He is not flippant about our pain and suffering. He's tasted it to the fullest. And he understands what it's like to hurt horribly physically. And that amazes me that that experience is something that he has walked. And so many of us have to walk or see our loved ones walk. He knew intense stress. In Mark chapter 14, verse 34, it's when Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane. And he's asking the disciples to pray with him. And he says, I am grievously sorrowful. I am really, really grieved deeply to the point of death. He was under intense stress. Think about this. Here is the perfect man, the perfect son of God. Here is God in the flesh, the second person of the Godhead perfect in beauty and splendor and holiness. And he is going to become sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him. He is going to take the full wrath of almighty God upon himself for sin that he didn't do. 
he was going to suffer the worst possible conceived execution ever devised by people. He was going to suffer brutally at the hands of his creation for our fault. He was going to be in a place where for the first time the father would turn from him and he would cry out in agony and pain, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And such was the stress and the strain that was upon him that in Luke it tells us that he sweat drops of blood, right? And that's a condition that's called hemotidrosis. I looked it up and being the internet, there was even pictures of the condition. I don't recommend looking at them. It's really like, it's, it's, it's sad. But it's a condition that is extremely rare and when the stress is so overwhelming, the blood vessels in the sweat glands and around the eyes and in the eyes rupture. And you sweat blood. That's the magnitude of pressure that Jesus was under. And you know, again, what kind of things are you dealing with? What stress is on your life? What is weighing on your shoulders? You know, we, we, we read in the scripture where, where it says, be anxious for nothing, but with prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And it's like, yeah, but I'm really, really under a lot of pressure right now. Or when Jesus says, don't worry, don't stress out. Well, yeah, you're God. You know what? Jesus knew pressure. And so for us, when we are going through those stressful times in life and we're under the weight and the burden of the things that life throws at us, we can go to Jesus who understands firsthand deep stress, deep grief, deep heartache. And we can look to him for help. See, he's that high priest who was made just like us and has experienced everything that we experience. And in looking at this, for me, I was kind of like, you know, Jesus, there, I should be taking everything always to you because you understand everything so well. When I'm having a tough time at work, when I'm having a tough time in a relationship, you know what it's like and you have the answers and you have the strength and you have the help. I really need to be clicking with you all the time. And as I was studying these things and all, the thought came to my mind of what about somebody saying, well, you know what? Jesus didn't know what it was like to be married. Jesus didn't know what it was like to have kids. And as I chewed on that, I came to the conclusion, I think that's wrong. And this is why. Okay, Jesus was not, I'm not getting into the Da Vinci Code thing or anything like that, all right? So don't, I'm not going there, all right? But, but Jesus was not actually married. He did not have actual children. But when you look at scripture and how the Bible compares the relationship and intimacy that God has with Israel, it's one of a husband and wife. And throughout the Old Testament, we see 
Israel being an adulteress and a prostitute. You look at the, the book of Hosea. God had Hosea marry Gomer, who was a prostitute, to show Israel exactly how they were treating him and his heart for them. Jesus has the church as his bride, and we're all children of God if we receive Christ as our Savior. God knows what it's like to have a dysfunctional family. Look at his bride, unfaithful, apathetic, wishy-washy, selfish, children, oh my word, disobedient, rebellious, thinking they know everything. I, you know, I think back over my life and it's like, how stupid of me to think I actually knew better than God and I would do something. You, you know, and I think we've all been there. It's like, no, I, I, th I think I got this, God. And you realize after you crash and burn, I really should have listened to my father, my heavenly father. So I would argue that if somebody's having a really hard time in their marriage, even if there's adultery involved, I would dare say Jesus understands. I would dare say that when we are having challenges with our children and raising our children and all, Jesus understands because we're his kids. We're his bride. We're the father's kids as well. So I think it's really safe to say no matter what we're going through, no matter what we face, Jesus has been there. Jesus understands and we can go running to him and saying, I really need your help because you've been through this and you do it right and you do it best. And he's there in compassion and understanding. Even when there's temptation in our lives and we're struggling with temptation, to be able to approach the throne of grace to find mercy and help from somebody who can say to me as my great high priest, I understand, I've been tempted that way too. That helped me so much when I was in high school. I went to a Christian uh, junior high and then to a regular high school. And uh, it was a new world for me. And the temptations were way more than I had ever had before, both because of my age and time of life and because of the environment that I was in. It was a new world. And feeling so bad, so awful about the things I was being tempted in, and then learning that my Savior's been there, didn't sin, but he's been tempted, and I can run to him for help. Oh, how many times I'd be, <laughs> I need help bad. This is hard. I still have to do that. And he's there, faithful loving, understanding, merciful, gracious, and compassionate. The other side of this I want us to look at is the dependency. Jesus put aside his glory, his power, his splendor, and put himself in a body. When you look at the scriptures, and we're going we're gonna to delve into to several, Jesus was so dependent upon the Father and the Holy Spirit. From beginning to end, Jesus is hanging on to the Father. 
And there's four things that I want us to consider here about Jesus' dependency. His communication with the Father, his unity of mind with the Father, his obedience to the Father, and his dependency upon the Holy Spirit. So turn over to Luke chapter 11, verse 1. Now Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. And let's just, let's just go through this. And he said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins. For we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us and lead us not into temptation. In Matthew, in the Sermon on the Mount, it has, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. He was praying. Jesus lived a life of prayer. We know that early in the morning before anything happened and anything was going on, Jesus would go out to a secluded place to pray. In the evening, sometimes, he would go off to pray. We see him praying publicly. We see him praying privately. And here, he's, he's spending time with the Father. He's communing with his dad. And one of the disciples says, would you teach us to pray the same way John taught his disciples? Of all the things that they could have asked him to teach them, Lord, I want to walk on water. Lord, I want to cast out demons better. Lord, I want to be able to fill in the blank, whatever that may be. They asked to be taught to pray because they understood that that was a critical part of his life. And when he prayed, things happened. For us, we need to be people of prayer. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 17, it says, pray without ceasing, right? To always be in that habit of prayer. And, and so it's like, for, for me, I'm the kind of person who tends to mull things over a lot. So if something happens at work, I'm chewing on it all the time. Or if something happens at home, I'm chewing on it and chewing on it. If something happens at all, or there's an issue that comes up, I'm chewing on it and chewing on it. And I found that I would get more and more stressed out about the things I was chewing on. And I realized, you know, I should really just take these things and rather than chewing on them, which is making me sick, to just talking to my father about them. And I made that shift as when things would start coming to mind and weighing on me, I would take them to, to the Lord. And man, I'll tell you, the freedom that comes with casting those things onto our Heavenly Father, it's humongous. I don't have to bear the burden. I don't have to figure it out. I just need to go to the one who knows the answers and obey him. Jesus prayed, and we need to pray all the time, just regularly taking things before the Lord being it so natural that was core for Jesus's life and it needs to be for us unity 
of heart and mind with the Father. Look at what Jesus says. So John 5.30, Jesus says, I can do nothing on my own. Did you get that? I can't do anything on my own. I, as I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just because I seek not my own will, but the will of him who sent me. Jesus was always in connection with the Father, in prayer, seeking the will of the Father so that he could do what needed to be done. So often we have our own agendas, I think. I know I do for the Lord. And it's, it's my will kind of thing. And in the Lord's Prayer, we have where it says, you know, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And for so long I used to think, yeah, and, and pray, you know, God, may your will be done on this earth, in our country, in our community. But then I had to rethink it and go, well, I'm on earth. Your will be done in my life. I should be always looking for your will in every situation and circumstance so that I can follow, not do anything of my own accord. Because every time I do, it's going to be a mess. Anytime I do something that I want to do and I disregard what the Lord says, it's always been bad. And you'd think I'd learn, but a lot of times I don't. I just kind of, you know, it's the Holy Spirit School of Remedial Education. Okay, you didn't get that one. Let's try it again, you know. And God is patient with us. But if we are in tune with what the Lord wants to do and we're seeking his face. In 1 John chapter 5, verse 14, it says, If we ask anything according to his will, we have the confidence he's heard us and have the things we've asked for. Now, it may not be on our time frame, but if we are seeking his will and we're praying according to that will so that we might obey that will, God is going to answer accordingly. And that's a comfort. He cares about us. And following on the heels of that is obedience. Go over to Hebrews chapter 5, verse 7. And this deals with Jesus and his obedience. And look at how this is worded. Hopefully it's, it, it'll be more alive with the things that we've looked at. In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverence. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. And being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him, being designated by God a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. Jesus cried out to the Father, praying that the cup would pass from him, right? He's sweating blood. He is grieved. And it says here, it says he was heard because of his reverence. He was heard because of his reverence. But did the father take the cup away? No. 
And Jesus was, not my will, but yours be done. Jesus had to learn obedience. If you're God, who do you obey? No one. But as a man, he learned obedience through, in this particular instance, the most horrible, terrifying, difficult time of his life. And he obeyed. He trusted the Father. He yielded to the Father's will. And and the thing is, Jesus knew what was going to happen, right? Jesus had been telling the disciples, hey, I'm going to be killed. They're going to crucify me. And then three days later, I'm going to rise from the dead. But was Jesus going, hey, it's no big deal. Piece of cake. We got this covered. Don't worry about it. No. He was a man. And he knew what was in front of him. And he obeyed. For us... Obedience is critical. Obedience is worship. The Bible says to obey is better than sacrifice. It would be better to obey the Lord than to disobey and then have to have a sacrifice. To seek forgiveness and repentance. Now, it's best to obey. Because his way is always right. And lastly, dependency upon the Holy Spirit. Matthew 1, Luke 1, tells us that Jesus was conceived in the Virgin Mary by the power of the Holy Spirit. Okay? So, the Holy Spirit was there at the beginning. Look at Isaiah, chapter 11, verse 2. A familiar passage, but we're going to see it in the light of what we've been looking at. Isaiah eleven two. 2. Let's just start at 1. Okay, there shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, okay, a descendant of David, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit, and the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord, and his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by what he sees, or decide disputes by what he hears. The spirit of of wisdom, the spirit of understanding, when Jesus was at the temple at age 12, they were amazed at his understanding and wisdom in the scriptures. And afterwards, in Luke chapter 2, verse 52, it says, when he went back home with, with Mary and Joseph, and Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. So he was conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit. As he was growing up, the Holy Spirit was teaching and guiding and educating him in the things of God. He was right there with Jesus. When Jesus was baptized, the Holy Spirit descended upon him, right? And anointed him for the ministry. But a lot more was going on. Um, Look at Luke chapter 4, verse 1. So Jesus has just been baptized. The Father says, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. And the Holy Spirit leads him. He's just been baptized. Chapter 4, verse 1 of Luke. And Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led 
by the Spirit in the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by the devil. And he ate nothing during those days. This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Now it's time for 40 days of temptation in the wilderness. The Holy Spirit was upon him. He was full of the Holy Spirit. He was led by the Holy Spirit. He was tempted and went through that whole scenario with Satan. In Acts chapter 10, verse 37 through 38, it says, You yourselves know what happened throughout all Judea, beginning from Galilee after the baptism that John proclaimed, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. So he's anointed at his baptism. He is filled with the Spirit. He is led by the Spirit. And he is empowered by the Spirit to do the work of the Father. And then ultimately, at the back end of everything, we're told that the Holy Spirit raised Jesus from the dead. But the Bible also tells us that Jesus raised himself from the dead. But it also tells us that the Father raised him from the dead. Okay, so the Trinity all had a hand in Jesus coming back from the dead. But the Holy Spirit was there at his conception. He was there at the resurrection. And everything in between. This is why this is so critical. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 16 says, We are God's temple, and the Holy Spirit of the living God indwells you and I as believers. The same Holy Spirit, okay, that was working in Jesus' life, works in us. He was a man. We are human beings, men and women. We are weak. He is strong. Philippians chapter 2, verse 13 God works in us both to will and to do according to his good pleasure. The Lord helps us. We need to seek his will. We need to obey that will. And the Holy Spirit works in us to will and to do according to his good pleasure. There are times where I don't want to do God's will. Just being honest. I don't. Maybe I feel like I've been wronged and I deserve justice not to have to be forgiving and turn the other cheek or, or something like that. There's times I don't want to obey. I don't have the will and I definitely don't have the power to do. But the Holy Spirit can help us if we're willing. Galatians 5.22, we know the fruit of the Spirit, right? We don't generate the fruit. We bear the fruit. The Holy Spirit generates the fruit. And we need to cultivate that through prayer, obedience, seeking his will, and letting the Holy Spirit change us and mold us and prune us and do his work to where we will actually bear good fruit. He's doing it. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, the gifts of the Holy Spirit. They're not the same as the fruit. Each one of us is given at least a gift for the good of the body. He chooses the gift, he empowers the gift, and gives us opportunities to use it. It's all of him, None of, not of us. We're just vessels. We're just tools in the hand of the master. And he works through us 
if we yield and we obey and we're willing. In Mark chapter 7, verse 37, when Jesus was teaching and he was healing people and all these magnificent things were going on, the people said of Jesus in this verse, he does all things well. Why did Jesus do all things well? Because he's God. No. He did all things well because he was dependent upon the Father in prayer. He sought the will of the Father, obeyed the will of the Father, and was dependent upon the Holy Spirit of God. Guess what? We can do all things well. Now, I'm not saying we're Jesus. I'm not saying we're perfect because he was perfect. We're not perfect. We're fallen. Okay, that's just the reality. But, but, the Holy Spirit has been given to us by Jesus Christ to help us walk and live the life that Jesus modeled for us. He put himself in our shoes so that we could walk in our shoes the same way he did. And to me, that is so liberating, so freeing. And I pray that from this point on, you're able to look at the things in your life and the things you're struggling with or dealing with or trying to get your mind wrapped around and go, I know somebody who's been through this and I'm going to hold to him and he'll get me through it.